Now, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here today. And uh, we want to begin today with a shout out, okay, that uh, today is Twin Cities Church 22nd birthday. So let's just give a hey, happy birthday. Pretty cool. And, uh, and I don't know, I don't, I don't look this old, but I've been here for all 22 of them, okay? So I started when I was about five. Uh, and, uh, you know, what's really cool is that on that very first day, we had 158 people. We were meeting at Gold Run Elementary School in Nevada City. And then we just look at what God's allowed us to do over 22 years. We just want to make sure he gets all the credit and all the, you know, the accolades and the glory for everything that's happened here. When we began, we began with a pretty clear purpose and a pretty clear mission, uh, and we stated it clearly. Uh, now, that verbiage has changed a little bit along the years, but not significantly, and we talked about this last week, and simply, you know, we exist to lead as many people as possible into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a guest today, we're really happy that you're here, that you said yes to an invitation from a friend, or that you came as a result of the flyer that we sent in the mail. But honestly, you may be here and you may be thinking, well, Ron, you know, I'm here today, uh, but yet I'm not sure about whether I would believe in Jesus Christ like you do. I'm not sure if I believe in the God that you sing about today. I'm not sure if I trust church. And you know, if you're like that, this is a great place. Many of us have been in the same place in our journey to experience God and his church. And if you like that, I just want to say that this is a great opportunity in this series as we talk about Jesus to look at him. Uh, In fact, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, some of us, we have a hard time trusting God and church and Christ because of maybe upbringing or, you know, authority figures. Uh, Some of us, We have a hard time trusting Christ and church and God because of the way that Jesus or God is depicted in the media uh, so many times in a negative way. Uh, Some of us have a hard time because we actually know someone who's a follower of Jesus, and, um, you know, because of them, we've not wanted to attend a church, you know, or associate. You know, and I can relate to that. There are people who are followers of Christ, and I don't want to be like them either, some of them you know, as you look at that. And so I just want to welcome you today that this is a safe place in your journey to check these claims of Christ out. See, Jesus, when he was here, he never claimed to be a good teacher, even though he was an awesome teacher. They said that he had authority like no one else. And Jesus never claimed to be a great leader. And yet, if you look at his life, he started a church that has impacted millions and millions of people over the last 2,000 years. So he actually was a good leader. But when Jesus was here, he actually claimed to be the Savior. He actually claimed to be the one who would bring forgiveness, the one that would allow us to know God uh, because of what he was going to do on the cross. And what we want to do over these next several weeks is we just want to help each one of us come to a, a deeper understanding of what it means that Jesus died on the cross. And we're going to look at seven phrases that he gave from the time that he was nailed to the cross and it was stuck in the ground and until the time he died. Seven phrases. And each one of those phrases is significant. Each one of those phrases deals with our greatest needs. And we're going to look at those and we're going to look at how what he did can fulfill the greatest needs we have. But today we're going to talk about the most important one, and that is our need for 
forgiveness. We're going to look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 23. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, if you look in your program, there's some message notes there. They look like this, and you can pull them out, and maybe you'll want to you know, take some notes today, follow along. There's some actual blanks to fill in to keep you engaged. There are Bible verses here to help you be able to follow along in the Bible as well. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 23, and that's where we're going to look at the word today that he gave in chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. So just a heads up, uh, when you come in every week, if you don't have a Bible, just grab one, use it while you're here, put it back. But if you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to have one. So when you leave today, just look at beside the doors, there's some racks, and we'd just love to, for you to have a Bible and take it home with you. That'd be our gift to you uh, for being with us today. So we're going to look at these seven final sayings of Jesus Christ as spoken by him on the cross. Now, these quotes, direct quotes, uh, are written by men who either heard them personally and wrote them down or interviewed with great fervor those who did hear them and then wrote them down so that they could be cherished and then passed on throughout history. So they're reliable quotes that Jesus Christ made. Each is significant. And so I want to begin by reading verse 32 and Luke chapter 23. This is the word of forgiveness. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. That's talking about Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. By the way, next week, we're going to look at the word he gave to the criminals who were crucified with him. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothing by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. Now, I want to give us a little context about what's going on to help us understand more why this prayer that Jesus prays, this word, is so significant to us today. Here's a picture, a snapshot that we pulled off of the uh, clips that are a preview of the new movie that started this weekend called The Son of God, playing here local in one of our cinemas. How many of you guys have seen that this weekend? Several of you already went to see it. I just encourage you that uh, as part of this series that as we're going to look so closely at Jesus, it would really help you if you would just take some time to go watch the movie. Uh, I'm just giving a plug for that also for the theater because, you know, the theaters have a choice in the movies they show. And so uh, if those of faith go see movies of faith, then they will be more inclined to bring movies of faith to our community. Uh, some of the you know, best movies of faith in the last year didn't make it to our community. And so this just encouraged, uh, you know, encouraged the theater by going and seeing this. And so on a great rainy day or this week, you might find a time uh, to go watch that yourself. Now, without getting into the gory details, I, I want to remind us of what's happened to Jesus before he got to this point. Uh, that on the night of his crucifixion, uh, that he had had dinner with his disciples, those closest to him. And so then he had left and gone into the Garden of Eden. Oh, garden, garden of Eden. Hey, that's not a different story, isn't it? <laughs> now I'm stuck. Yeah, of Gethsemane. And so he spent some time in prayer there. And so as he was praying then at the end of that prayer time, 
uh, then Judas came, one of his disciples, and betrayed him. Now, one of his closest came to, uh, you know, plant the kiss on him. And so even though Jesus knew that that was coming, you can imagine the pain in his heart that that person that he had spent so much time and prayed would change actually was one that betrayed him at that moment. So also his other followers, seeing the Romans come up and the soldiers to arrest Jesus, scared the bejeebers out of them. And so they all ran as well. And they all all, every one of them abandoned Jesus. So once again, I just want to highlight the loneliness he's starting to go through at this moment. He's totally abandoned by those who had followed and walked with him, lived with him intimately for three years. These are the ones he had built into, that he had taught, that he had loved, and all of them abandoned him. He was taken before the religious courts and a mock trial. Charges were made up against him. He was ridiculed. And he was mocked by them, and they made fun of him in every way. And then they took him from there, and they took him before a Roman ruler named Pilate. And as he was before Pilate, Pilate also questioned him. And Pilate realized at that moment there was actually nothing that Jesus had done wrong, but he was caught up in what was going on, and he wanted to please all of the religious leaders And so, because he didn't want an insurrection in his city. And so... Uh, he had Jesus sent out from there, and he had Jesus beaten. And the way that they would beat criminals of this day is that they would scourge them. And what that means is, is that they take this whip and it would have nine tails, and it would be leather, and then they would tie into the leather pieces of bone and metal and glass, and then they would whip the criminal. And uh, as we've you know, read incidents of this as recorded in history, uh, that basically it would get to the point where the, the criminal's skin would be so, flesh would be so ripped that their organs were literally about to pop out. And it, would, it was that brutal. And then he had Jesus beaten. And so the soldiers would wear big rings during this time. And part of that was that they were, you know, they used intimidation to keep rule. And so they would use these rings to, so they could have more impact when they hit someone. And so they beat Jesus with these fisted rings until he was, his face was like a pulp. And so uh, finally he's reaching the place where he's, you know, completely losing uh, his abilities to withstand what's going on. And then they placed a crown of thorns on his head and shoved it in until blood is running down his face and across his torso. Well, after all of this, they then required Jesus to carry his cross to the place where he'd be crucified. And they put it on his shoulders. And then they marched him through town. The reason the Romans did this is that they, it was a parade, actually. And they wanted everyone to see what would happen with anyone who uh, chose to buck Rome. And so they wanted it just to be a lesson, don't mess with Rome, and this is what happens to you when you do. And he took his cross to the place where they would crucify him, and then they laid it down, and they stretched him out, and they nailed his hands uh, to the cross, and they nailed his feet to the cross. And then the way that they do it is they would pick the cross up, and before they dropped it in the hole, they would, they would get it in the, you know, just as high as they could, holding it, and then they would just drop it with all the force that they could, knowing that as his hands are nailed to the cross beams, that what would happen is, is the cross would thud on the bottom and it would rip at the hands and, and yet the nail would hold it and then ultimately his shoulders would be pulled out of their sockets. And the reason that they wanted the shoulders pulled out of the sockets is the way that you died at a crucifixion is you died of asphyxiation. 
of not being able to breathe. And so as you're in this position, you can't get air into your lungs. And the only way to get air into your lungs is literally to pull yourself up by your arms and your hands. And so as the person's dying, in order to get that breath with the shoulders pulled out of their sockets with as much effort as they could, they would pull themselves up all the while, raking their back that had been Uh, scourged and uh, opened up against the splinters of the cross. And they're in that much pain at that moment. And that's the moment when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Those words seem so out of place. So out of place at the moment of what's happening when Jesus is at his worst suffering that he would go to on the cross. And what I want to do is I want to take that phrase, that's a prayer, and I want to take that prayer and I want to pull it apart, and we're going to learn from Jesus what that prayer meant for him, and we're also going to learn what that prayer means for us where we are today. So there's some blanks you might want to fill in there as we talk about what does this prayer mean that Jesus prayed. And the first thing we notice in this difficult moment is that Jesus turned to his Father. The first thing we notice is that Jesus turned to his father. Now, this is consistent. Honestly, when you read about Jesus, it's consistent with everything that we know about him as he's lived his life. You go all the way back as recorded in Luke chapter 12, when Jesus was 12 years old, and that he went with Mary and Joseph, his parents, to the temple in Jerusalem, and they got all caught up in the festivities, and then they left, and then they looked around and said, oh, we forgot our son. So they go back and, and to get Jesus at the temple, and when they get there, they discover him teaching. And as they asked him what was going on, he said to them, he says, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? So even at 12, he was calling God this intimate term of endearment, the word father. When Jesus was here, he had a way of talking about God that no one had ever talked about God before him. The nation of Israel, when they would talk about God, it was Yahweh. They couldn't even say his name, Jehovah. They couldn't even say the name of God because it was so holy. And they'd refer to God as the Holy One, the the creator of everything. And he's so awesome. But he wasn't close. And Jesus brings God from awesomeness to closeness. Brings him close with what he says. See, he was more than righteous, holy God. That's all that he is as well. But Jesus uses a term to refer to God, Abba, which we can translate as Daddy when he refers to God. He says, Daddy. He was personal. If you remember when Jesus was asked those disciples, how should we pray? How should we pray? That he said, well, here's how you should pray. He said, you should pray like this. Our Father, our Father, our Daddy should realize that God is close. He's near. As Jesus was entering into these final hours before he would go to the cross, and he knew the cross was coming, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, we have these words recorded that he said in Luke 22. I put on your notes. He says this again, Father. He's calling him Daddy. If you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done. So the first thing I think we can learn from this, uh, from all of this intimacy that Jesus is expressing, is that what Jesus knew is that God was close. 
And so when he was at his deepest pain, the first thing he did was turn right to his father because he knew his father was there and he knew his father would answer. So folks, I think what we can learn from that for us is this, is that when life is difficult, even when you feel you're going through impossible pain, and I know some of us are going through some very, very difficult things. I even talked with a gentleman yesterday and told me that, How's he do, how's, how are you doing? And he just said, you know, I'm just waiting to die. You know, in those situations that we can all face, what Jesus wants us to remember is that God is close. And when we are feeling that, to turn to him because he's there. He's close beside us. Turn to your heavenly father. Second thing I want to point out from this prayer as we go on and look at it phrase by phrase is that Jesus prayed for others. He prayed for others. So I want you to think about, you know, if you were Jesus and you'd had all of this done to you and they're, the people who did it to you are mostly right in front of you, many of them, but you're in tremendous pain as well, excruciating pain beyond belief, and you were about to pray, what would you pray? Well, I thought about that this week. I'll just be real honest. I thought, first thing I'd pray is I'd pray for relief. I would want to be released. I would want deliverance. I would ask for strength. I might even say, God, zap them. <laughs> honest, that's what I would pray if I were hanging on the cross at that moment. I would pray for endurance. Basically, what I realized is I would be consumed, so consumed by my own needs at that moment that everything I prayed at that moment would be about me. But that wasn't Jesus. Instead, at that moment, he didn't pray about himself at all. He prayed for others. And in doing so, when he prayed for others, he actually fulfilled prophetic words that were written over 700 years before this moment that are recorded in Isaiah chapter 53. Over 700 years. This form of punishment, this form of uh, cruelty had not even been invented yet. And these are words that were written about the Messiah, what he would be like and what he would do when he was walking on the earth. And I put the section that actually refers to what we're talking about uh, right here on your notes so you can see it, uh, Isaiah 53, 12. Talks about, you know, projecting forward, prophesying about the Messiah and what he would be like and what he would do. It says, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Now, that phrase, he bore the sins of many, what that does is that gives us the idea of what it was that was being accomplished on the cross, what Jesus was accomplishing when he died on the cross. It wasn't just a death. He was actually bearing the cross, the cost, instead of us for our sins so that we could be forgiven. That's what he did at that moment. He bore the cost of the, of the punishment for our sins so that we could be forgiven. So Jesus is active. Actually, at that moment, he's acting out what he's praying for. He's dying in order that we might have forgiveness. And that word intercession means he prayed for them. And that's exactly what he did. He prayed for them. He was more concerned about himself than he was 
more concerned about others than he was for himself. So who's Jesus praying for when he prays? Well, first of all, I think he's praying for the Roman soldiers, for the ones who had treated him so poorly and unjustly and cruelly. I think he's also praying for the religious leaders, the same thing, that they had rejected him and that they were really the ultimate cause of what was happening to him at that moment. I think he was also praying for the crowd of people who earlier in the day had cried out, crucify him, crucify him. The same people who had days earlier cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. The crowds had turned against him and they cried out, crucify him. But ultimately, I think he was praying for you and me. That's what I think he was praying for ultimately, is you and me. In other words, Jesus was praying for everyone who would need God's forgiveness. Every one of us who would need his forgiveness. So he prayed for others. And the last thing we can learn from his words, I believe, is that Jesus revealed our greatest need. He revealed our greatest need. Now, when he says, for they don't know what they are doing, he's not saying they're innocent, okay? Some might read it that way. He's not saying that they're innocent. He's saying, as they carry out this act against me, They are not aware that I am the son of the living God. That's what he's saying there. They're carrying out this act against me, and they're not aware that I am the son of the living God. And that's why on your notes, I put the verses that followed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. It talks about what the soldiers did next, that the soldiers literally just walked away, and they gambled for his clothing because they had no idea who he was. It says that they continued to scoff him, telling that he was really the Messiah, he could take himself off of the cross. They had no idea who he was. They were blinded to the fact that they were torturing and putting to death the very Son of God. Now, the Bible talks about how we are sometimes ignorant of God's greatness and our condition. In fact, in Romans 5.8, I didn't put this on your notes, but you can write down the reference if you want to look it up later. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For they don't know what they're doing. See, they did know what they were doing, but they didn't know who they were doing it to. They didn't know that they were crucifying and, putting, and punishing the son of the living God. So when Jesus says that, he's, when he says, Father, forgive them, he says, Father, forgive them because they desperately need forgiveness. Father, forgive them because they've committed a sin that's dark beyond all their realization, beyond all their understanding. Forgive them for they don't know who they are doing this to. And folks, their greatest need My greatest need, our greatest need, is to be forgiven. And and that's just mind-boggling when you consider how many needs that there actually are. You turn on your TV this afternoon or you log on and you watch any news uh, source, you will see that there are tremendous needs in our world. And as we look at those needs, people get all kinds of passion to solve those needs. And they say, no, the greatest need is food and we need to feed the hungry. The greatest need is aid. We need to help aid the helpless. The greatest need is education. We need to help those who have no learning. The greatest need is resources. The greatest need is military protection or the greatest need is freedom from uh, protection from slavery. 
freedom from slavery, whatever slavery it is that we're talking about, many forms so prevalent in our world today, or the greatest need is help out of poverty, or the greatest need is for medical care. But the Bible communicates that as great as those needs are, and yes, we should be passionate about helping those who are being oppressed, who are being hurt, who are being held in captivity in some way. Yes, we should be helping those. The greatest need, the most universal need that everyone has is for forgiveness. It's the number one need. And Jesus shows us that our need for forgiveness is the reason he came to earth. Our need for forgiveness is why he's here. Therefore, if God would pay such a high price for us, our forgiveness must be the most important thing to him. Look at this verse from Matthew 26, 28. Jesus is talking. He says, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. When he bore their sins, that was what was happening, is he was sealing the covenant between God and people that because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we could have our sins paid for, the cost paid for, and that we could know forgiveness. We could know forgiveness. Our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. See, the cross reveals, it reveals how great our sins are, but it also reveals that God's love is even greater. His love is even greater, and he paid the price that we could be forgiven. Okay, if you would, turn your notes over. And I just want to talk for a moment about how would we respond to that? Jesus turned to God, Jesus prayed for others, and Jesus revealed our greatest need. How would I respond to what we've learned today? First thing is this, I want to pray for myself. That's the first response. I want to pray for myself. I pray to God that just let him know I want to receive what you made possible through the death of your son. Put a couple of verses here that talk about this. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, you might underline that, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Just know that that word everyone means that no one is excluded. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter... How many accusations you hear coming against you? Everyone will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Apostle Paul was reflecting on this kind of forgiveness in Ephesians 1. He writes, he, talking about God, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Forgave our sins. So at the end of our time together, I'm going to draw us to a time where we all get to pray, and I'm going to ask all of us in the room to consider whether we've received God's forgiveness or not. And I'm going to give you a chance today that if you wanted to say yes, you can. Second response is this, I want to pray for others. Just as Jesus prayed for those who've hurt him, I believe God calls us to pray for those who've hurt us. I need to pray for them. Now, earlier, I mentioned that Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught how to pray by calling God Father. Well, he also taught a section on ethical living. And in that section, he made a statement that he's actually living out right now in person, doing what he said on the cross. And it's recorded in Matthew 5. Jesus said this, 
Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, is that natural? And the answer is no. It's not natural. In this moment, was it natural for Jesus to pray for those who had done all of this to him? No, it wasn't natural. And so what do, how do we get to this place? What is natural when we're in this place? Well, the natural thing is to curse people, right? When they hurt us, we curse them. And I was reading this week in all my studies, I came across this uh, article and it was talking about uh, some research that archaeology that was being done near Rome. And in this archaeology, they had dug down and uh, the level they were at would have been about 2,000 years ago, about the time that Jesus lived. And it was uh, based on the Romans and how the Romans worshipped. And the Romans had many gods and goddesses. And they would come to their places of worship, wherever those were, that were designated. And uh, specifically, they would actually have a moment where they would pray. And uh, what they've discovered at that level, they discovered some tablets. And they've discovered many of these tablets, and so many of them, and they all kind of have the same purpose. And the same purpose is to curse someone who has hurt them. And so they're literally called the curse tablets. They're called the curse tablets. And I just want to give you an example. So what would happen is someone would hurt someone, so they would go to their place of worship, and they would write out on this tablet a a prayer that would be intended to curse the person who had hurt them. And here's an example of one of those prayers. I invoke you, holy angels and holy names, tie up, block, strike, overthrow, harm, destroy, kill, and shatter Eucarius. I must have been someone who made him mad, okay? And he calls him the charioteer. So these must be chariot, you know, racers and riders. So someone who's heard him. And then he says this, and all of his horses too, by the way. And he says, let the starting gates not open properly. Let him not compete quickly. Let him not pass. Let him not make the turn properly. Let him not receive the honors. Let him not squeeze over and overpower. Let him not come from behind and pass. But instead, let him collapse. Let him be bound. Let him be broken up. Let him drag behind, both in the early races and the later ones. (laughs) That's a curse, right? He went all the way with this curse of this person. And and in the article I was reading, the person referenced, and it says, wouldn't it be awesome, instead of we had curse my enemy tablets, that we actually had bless my enemy tablets? Yes. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. He's calling us to bless our enemies. How would it change your prayers if that was your purpose of praying, was to bless those who have hurt you? Instead of asking for revenge or instead of asking for harm, you would pray for their blessing, and you would pray that they would be released. Instead of praying that they would have difficulty, you would actually pray that things go well for them and that they have a good life. Instead of feeling resentment and hatred for what they had done, your prayer would be one of forgiveness and release and care. It's just a totally different kind of prayer. And see, I believe that's what Jesus is radically asking us to do, is to pray prayers of blessing and release on those who have cursed us. Even if they have not repented, even if they show no sorrow for what they've done. And he modeled that for us in what was happening at the cross. And, and as I was thinking about, you know, when I get to this point, I'm gonna, personally, I'm thinking for me, but I think you're probably wondering, well, how, Ron, that's great, but how in the world can we do that? Honestly, that's a big hill to climb. How can we do that? Well, the Bible tells us how. 
It's really clear. And Paul writes about that in Colossians chapter 3. He says this. He says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. You might circle that word anyone because it means everyone. Remember, the Lord forgave you. Here's how we can forgive. The Lord forgave you. I experienced his forgiveness. The Lord forgave you. So you must, not like it's a good idea, but you must forgive others. And this is the reason that I just want to know, I want you to know that it's vital and critical that you understand what Jesus made possible on the cross and the forgiveness you now have because of Jesus Christ, because when you receive that forgiveness, you are now enabled to be able to begin the process of releasing and forgiving someone else. You can't really set one, someone free from the debt you feel they owe you until you yourself have stood amazed at the foot of the cross for the grace that God has shown you. It's just not possible. So how do we pray for those who have hurt us? Well, we may pray for the people at work. And some of us, we have folks at work that have said some really terrible things about us or that they've made it possible that we didn't get the promotion or the raise that we thought we would get in some way or that we've been asked to do tasks that are way below what we, uh, our grade shows that we should do. So we've been hurt. Some of us, it may be a family situation. We need to pray for some family members. One of the greatest causes of pain and hurt in our culture and our world today is families that are fractured and families who do things to one another and and then we end up with all this pain and turmoil and we need to pray for them maybe it's hurt from a friend you've been gossiped about you've been betrayed someone's broken a promise maybe it's a former spouse that you need to let them go maybe it's your spouse now and you're struggling and you're feeling resentment, and there's a wall at home right now. And God's asking you to let that wall down and to forgive them. Maybe it's with your children, that they've hurt you, and that now this is your opportunity to mend that by being willing to be the one who starts the forgiveness process by releasing them. Now, one more thing before I go on. I just want us to be clear about this. My prayer for others may not change them, but it will change me. It may not change them, but it will change me. My prayer for others always changes me. So when you let it go, you're letting them go, and you're letting the resentment and the bitterness go as well from your life. John Gadar says it this way. He says, forgiveness is vital to the victim. When victims forgive, they release themselves from life-draining resentment and pain. They are not liberating their injurer, rather they are liberating themselves. The offender doesn't even have to be aware of the forgiveness for this to be effective. When we forgive, folks, it frees us. And the last way way I want us to just respond today is this. I want us to remember and recall that Jesus is praying for us. That just as he prayed for us on the cross, Jesus now is at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for us. He's praying that we would have the strength to do what he's asked us to do, that we would have the understanding to be able to believe what he's done for us on the cross. Look at what it says in Romans 8. 
Who dare accuse us? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. See, I've talked to lots of folks in the 22 years that we've been able to do ministry together. And and there's two phrases or two statements that are extremely uh, painful for me to hear. And I know they're painful for the person to say and, and folks will say these two things to me. I say, one, they'll say, Ron, I've asked God to forgive me, but I don't feel forgiven. I've asked him to forgive me, but I still carry the burden of my sin. I still carry the residue with me, and I don't feel forgiven. Second phrase, and someone in my office this week said this phrase to me, is that they said, I can't forgive him or her for what they've done. I just can't forgive them. And I just want to say to both statements that they're actually both true. They're actually both true apart from Jesus Christ. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying that you will have the strength, the ability, the awareness to first Know that you're forgiven and that you don't have to carry any longer the residue of your sin, the residue of your guilt. You can be free. He also wants you to know that you can forgive those who've hurt you. It's for your best and for their best. And he will give you the power and he's praying that you can do it. We're going to hear a song. Lindsay's going to sing now. And it talks about this pathway to forgiveness, our understanding that because of what Jesus has done for us, that we can be forgiven. Sometimes I feel 
Grab your message notes and look right at the bottom. And uh, as we start to pray now together, there's a couple of prayers I want to ask you to consider praying today. Uh, and the first one has to do with your willingness to say yes to Jesus because of what he did for you, the forgiveness he offers. So if you just look at that, the blank would be this. It's your prayer. Father, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, that would be your choice today. To say, I don't have to live with this guilt anymore. I don't have to live with this lostness. But I can live with purpose and forgiveness. And God, I just want to thank you that these words of Jesus, the first ones, they speak to that greatest need we have of being made right with you. I'm so moved by Jesus and his relationship, his understanding of you as daddy and how close you are to us. I'm just touched by his prayer that he would reach out and pray for those who have abused and hurt him. And so God, I pray today that everyone in this room, that we'd be open to the love you have for us. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You could do it right now. You could just, in your heart, and your mind, you could say, Jesus, as much as I understand it today, I want to receive your forgiveness. I turn to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. It was the world, but it was me. I've sinned. Make me clean. Father, this last prayer, some of us are at a place today where we know we need to pray this last one. Already we have the person in our mind, or the group, the people who have hurt us, and we know we've been carrying a grudge, resentment, and if we're honest, it's led to bitterness and a lack of joy, anger, and today we want to be free. Today we want to start the process of forgiveness. And so this blank is yours. 
You know who that person is or those people are or that group is. That today you want to write down. Father, I forgive. And you fill in the blank. God wants us to be free. And he wants us to be free of bitterness. And you can know that because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus, we thank you. In your name, amen.